but uh, I'd rather not switch to my phone because it needs to charge. So, mm -hmm. so work it with the Wi-Fi on my laptop today. Yeah, no, it sounds good. Cool. Um, also, I hope you don't mind. I just got food delivered, so I'm going to like eat right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. No, no, man. How's it going, dude? <laughs> good, good. Yeah, lots of ideas in my head. Same, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh Oh, I watched and I, the yeah. first uh of the new F0 videos. Oh. Uh, <laughs> is it I've already forgotten is it Jack the, the like the mascot? Um Yeah. Yeah, Jack Levin, yeah. It's such a funny like Chad meme overlay with the blonde hair like up like that in little like gelled quaff whatever they call it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. No, it, it's the whole sort of animations in that game are really <laughs> like, like the dancing. I've never seen that that before. The way that character dances on stage. Is so <laughs> yeah, he's sort so of like funny. waving. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. It's it's really strange because like um, a lot of the animation it there kind of makes him like, like a very obvious clown or jester or something. Sorry, yeah. Ah, uh, that's yeah, interesting. Well, exactly. That's what I'm fascinated by because all of the videos in that game are about clowns in a sense. It's it's <laughs> people like men being like foolish in some mm. sense mm. uh and and also a lot of the animation seems to me like it's using motion capture or something like the movements are I very know. and so it has that sort of polar express weirdness sometimes but without <laughs> totally without, <laughs> without having like the actual faces <laughs> right god polar express <laughs> You know there's a game, right? I'm so curious about it. Yeah, well, yeah, you mentioned. I, I'm going to look it up now, actually. Probably. Mm. Let's see. Like, I actually, I have no idea about it. Like, I don't even know what the genre is. I just noted that it existed. <laughs> Ooh, weird. <laughs> Are you looking at pictures of it or something? Yeah. There's like a tennis mini game and uh Oh Jesus. <laughs> mm. Dude, I wonder if they adapted the hot chocolate scene somehow. <laughs> is, is that like a like a quick time event like sequence, you know? <laughs> yeah, like a, a little mini game. <laughs> Press X to hot chocolate. <laughs> yeah, man. You could add that into your game, like you enter into a room and it's a terrifying <laughs> sort of you know, chocolate dance. <laughs> if they had adapted it in the NES days, it totally would have been like Tom Hanks like shooting chocolate at like enemies, you know? It would be like a weapon. <laughs> <laughs> like a side scroller, you know? I don't know. Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, like that's the use that would have been made uh -huh. of it. <laughs> I see. Actually, it's weird. There is there are, there is an, a Game Boy Advance um, side scroller of it as well. Really? 
<laughs> express. Yeah. Wow. You're just moving through the train, it seems, mostly. <laughs> That's so funny. Right. They were really expecting that movie to be like a breakout success. Kids would watch yeah. like a video game of. <laughs> Can oh. you imagine like <laughs> getting that video game for Christmas? Like, how weird would that have been? <laughs> there are some children that have that. It's like a just like a memory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, I I watched this movie the other day it's a steven spielberg production i think mm. uh, or well he's one of the like producers i think yeah. um we're back a dinosaur story oh i know it uh, yeah we had that growing up and actually there's a video game of it on second genesis that i'm a little obsessed with i, I play it often <laughs> cool cool because i i, I remember what yeah, and it's it's I like I remember that as a child, but I was watching it again, and it's such a, like a trip of a movie because the animation is so perfect all the time. The animation is oh, wow. perfect, and so it's one of those animation movies where the animation just jacks everything up. I see. Um, Interesting. I haven't watched it uh, post sync. I don't think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I thought I'd it watched was... little clips of it and thought it was looked really amazing, though. Yeah. <laughs> I just remember like the, like the bad guy, like mm. turning into the birds at the end. You know. Oh, nice. It's like that yes. was like a big, big memory that stuck with me from it. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. It's like a circus, like. Right, he wants to like display the dinosaurs like freaks, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So he's Elijah from Freaked. No difference. <laughs> right. Yes, that's a good point. He's the circus, the circus master. Hmm. And he's the evil brother of the good brother. Right. But then the good brother is really weird because he just flies around in a UFO. Uh, like oh shit, dude! I forgot about that. How weird! Yeah, baiting dinosaurs with cereal, <laughs> with like yeah. What is this? <laughs> <laughs> what an outrageously weird movie. I need to rewatch it. Yeah, I no, it's what. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, I like the game because it has like the twin towers in it in the first level. Mm, 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 mm. It's uh, Louie, the little boy. It's like yeah. on the docks. And in the background, you can see the, the Twin Towers. And he's like, mm. he's like jumping on rats on the <laughs> docks. Like just a normal day in New York City for an eight-year-old, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> it's so funny, that game. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. And it's funny that I thought of you, actually, because the there are a few Twin Towers shots that are really numinous. Um, yeah, I've really got to watch it though. Like it's clearly, I mean, you know, I guess it's sort of in, inevitable in a way, but it's the, the, the twin towers are clearly like a mythological thing in that movie. They appear, they're very, they're framed in a very beautiful sort of way. Um, Interesting. And, it makes me think di- yeah. instantly about Mario 
as mm. another like dinosaur New York movie that also has the twin towers like centrally in them for some reason. Oh, dude. You know? That's funny actually because Mario has this weird backstory about how uh, in the days of, you know, in archaic days, dinosaurs ruled the earth, but then um, there's this, there's a little yeah, yeah, sort of totally. thing. Ruled Brooklyn specifically. Right, <laughs> ruled, ruled Brooklyn. And so obviously, this like we're back also uses i mean the title itself already says it right it, it uses dinosaurs as a as a symbol for the past for the archaic yes. past yes totally totally yeah, yeah um the archaic past has returned to new york um <laughs> yeah it's weird and you know th this is a personal um like this is just a little personal sink, sure. but it was funny because so, <laughs> no such thing. <laughs> I I decided to watch this film without remembering anything about it. Well, in fact, like my flatmate decided, and it is set on Thanksgiving Day, um, oh. and we and we literally watched that like on Thanksgiving or like you know, dude, uh, wow, that's awesome. The day before, the day after, I think, but it was like, because uh, <laughs> I'd literally been seeing like, dude, that's so weird. Because on Thanksgiving, yeah. I, I'm pretty sure I watched Poltergeist, which is another Steven Spielberg production. Oh, dude, like, no, dude, that's okay. This is funny because like, so um, yesterday, and I, I watched, watched it like with with someone, so it was kind of like an organic watch. Uh -huh. It wasn't me doing like a sync a sync thing. It just like happened that we watched that movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Interesting. Right, right, right. Because those are the circumstances for me yeah. too. And and so so check this out. So yesterday Whoa. we what? Oh. Poltergeist is all about bones. Sorry. Continue digging up bones. Ah uh, ha ha ha. Yep. Well, no, I know there's a whole sort of network here, but it's mm. like. Uh, Steven Spielberg. I don't know what's up with him now <laughs> these days because because <laughs> I because we watched we watched uh, the Mask of Zorro yesterday, um, and that's also jointly produced by Steven Spielberg, and oh, his name is on the credits. Um, so I was like, okay, what what like why am I watching so many Spielberg productions recently without intending to? <laughs> is Catherine Zeta-Jones in that one? She is. Now that's weird, dude, because we were just talking about that movie at work last week. And I never talk or uh, think about that movie, but it, it uh -huh. came up in conversation. Like, uh -huh. Actually, I think we were talking about Michael Douglas, who's married to Catherine, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Okay. And then it came up that like he claims to have gotten oral cancer from giving Catherine Zeta-Jones head via like an HPV. Oh yeah. So they, they were talking about that and then it was like, what movies has she even been in? And then we were talking about Zorro, you know? So. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. This is really weird. Cause I had <laughs> not, I, I had not thought about this movie since I was like a kid. I know. Right. <laughs> And I don't think it's not even a movie I watched much. Like, Same. Just, yeah. Uh, and yet suddenly it's sort of like the the idea to watch it came up, and we did. Mm. Um, 
Yeah. Right, and that one has Anthony Hopkins in it as the old mm-hmm. Zorro. Is that true? Yes, it does. Yeah. It really is like a generation transference. Mm. Absolutely, yeah. The son taking up the work of the father. Oh yeah, no, absolutely, and and uh, yes, yes. There are even a few scenes where people get buried alive, and then they, or someone gets buried alive, and then is sort of you know resurrected kind of thing. I've got to say, in a funny pothead kind of way, like that stuff is not so far away from dinosaur stuff somehow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Zora's yes. kind of like a velociraptor or something. He like mm-hmm. cuts with a talon, you know? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I, I, I know. And, and the thing is, like, I was wanting to think about this because Zoro is a weird. Um, character because he lives in this underground cave yeah. like he he has a weird sort of like um batman i was about to say isn't he so much like batman because he has like a mm. symbol too he's always leaving the z everywhere right exactly he has a symbol he wears a mask and he he lives in an underground cave mm. filled with like weird training equipment and stuff mm. and and also, like, this is another, like, thing. It's just we we were debating whether to watch Mask of Zorro or the first live-action Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. No! <laughs> um, and, and the funny thing is I, I later realized both of That's them... That's so movies, close to a dinosaur thing. Dinosaurs in New York, turtles in New York, no difference. Oh, I hadn't thought of that. Yes, and 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 then, absolutely, and 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 it's both masked people, mm. like it's true, people in masks. Yeah, Shredder, Zorro, dude, same. Well, and and like the both you know blades for fuck's sake, blades and masks. Yes, and and the turtles themselves, right? They wear the same kind of um, uh, mask, mm. the same kind yes. of thing on their heads. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. In, in any case, it's it feels as if there is some sort of a trend uh, in the movies that I'm watching, which I guess is, like we said the other day, it's something that is giving me... I hadn't really felt this in a while, I think. Yeah. This type of train this sort of entrainment <laughs> or, or whatever um hmm. and i'm not sure what to make of it either because it, yeah I, yeah I, what it's, all this it's like steven spielberg like underground turtle dinosaurs um <laughs> ge- gener- generational stuff mm. uh well it, yeah i think the dinosaurs are interesting in that they um, they relate to the idea of things we imagine on the basis of patterns that we detect in the historical record, right? We look at this dead shape underground, mm-hmm. and on the basis of that, we form these fantasy images of what these dinosaurs looked like and acted like. Yeah. So they're really yeah. like fantasies that are quite related to like the careful analysis of pattern. Ooh, wow, I love that. 
yes. Yeah, di- dinosaurs are like literally. They're like, yeah, they're a good metaphor for archetypes as such, you know. They're huh. old too. <laughs> they come from like a deeper layer in, in, in the geographic, or not geographic, but fossil mm. record. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, exactly. That's cool. They're like things we've. They are creatures whose existence we have deduced from yes. analyzing patterns. Yes. Yeah. Totally. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Funny. And in this movie, we're back. <laughs> um, all of the children uh, want to want to meet dinosaurs like that's that's the dream of all children totally. apparently yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and dude it's obviously yeah. some kind of meta comment on jurassic park right because that's the other spielberg movie like he made that movie first i think where mm-hmm. he brought dinosaurs to life and that became like the the fantasy of all these kids we're obsessed oh, with that movie shit. fuck right kind of like he's yeah. talking about his movie it's also it's like a circus that presents the dinosaurs, you know? It's like ah. this movie presenting them. I don't know. Yeah. This It's weird also because it, it ends on a very strange note where the dinosaurs um, spend the rest of their days in the museum um, <laughs> yeah. te- teaching little kids about, about this other world. Um, and it... Oh, yeah, they get placed in the temple. How, how interesting. <laughs> it's about yes. like religious images, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And it's like a, uh, like a, um, the opposite or like a conjunction to the circus. So the circus mm-hmm. is the museum. It's just that it's there's like a certain maybe re- shadow aspect to it. I'm not sure what it is. Interesting. Um, now, that's really interesting to me because... Mm. I'm kind of thinking about like what is this space in the game I'm designing and mm-hmm. I keep thinking it's going to be like a bunch of things at once like I want to have elements that imply that it's a museum elements that imply that it's a library elements mm. that imply that it's a temple or a church and mm. elements that imply that it's like a right. um, you know I don't know various things like that you know nice um, yeah and circuit is definitely like one of the things, you know. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So you could be walking around this space and see decoration that implies that it's this kind of totally. A space. Totally, yeah. But but then yeah, cool. Two yeah. would be the other big one, you know. Crypt. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes, yeah. <clears throat> See, it's funny also because, like, Spielberg, um, did he make or did he produce uh, the one about UFOs? What's that one called? The Close the Encounters. One with the Close Encounters, yeah. That was uh, written and directed, I think, by him. Let me look up, just confirm it. But at least directed, yeah. Because, so, the, the, the whole theme in We're Back with um, UFOs is very interesting to me because then the ufo the good brothers ufo descends on top of the bad brothers circus and both of them align geometrically because both of them are mandalas they're um it's like 
the circus is a big circle and then the UFO is a huge circle that kind of descends uh, on top of it. And I'm just like, why is Spielberg talking about UFOs? <laughs> like, what, what, what is it? I mean, I can see why, you know, you, you can be interested in them in all sorts of ways, but it seems so numinous. Um, I would have completely forgotten. <laughs> um, I was going to say, yeah, that's interesting, because if the idea mm. that we're back is a comment on Jurassic Park, holds any water then it's kind of like he's also commenting maybe on close encounters it's like stitching mm -hmm. those two movies together yeah and i can sort of start to see how they could fit together thematically you know mm. Mm -hmm. it's interesting um right because close encounters is all about like sure it's about ufos but it's also about the aliens piloting these ufos it's about aliens Yes. In some sense. And obviously, you know, aliens and dinosaurs are very much. Well, <laughs> alike. Yes, exactly. <laughs> some... Well, in Close Encounters, it's very much a movie about things emerging from the unconscious. I mean, that's so, like, yeah. Yeah. baked into it because mm. you see Richard Dreyfus's character, like, sculpting the mountain out of mashed potatoes before mm. he knows what it is. It's a shape that's yeah. <clears throat> emerging in his head. And then Spielberg shows you all these other people that, like, some were making paintings of it. Like, eventually, that character, the main character, ends up making a sculpture of it. And it's mm. gradually coming into crystallization. And then the way that that character, the dad, Richard Dreyfus, like, makes the connection to the actual location is by seeing it on TV. He's working on this art, like which is like now, by now this like scale model of this geographic feature, you know, mm. and then it it appears on on television, and he draws the connection between the image ah. coming through the TV and the image that was coming through his unconscious. And look, it's it wasn't just some weird flight of fancy; it was objective. It was pointing to a real place that a whole bunch of other people cued into it to say like it's a total like blatant collective unconscious kind of like yeah excuse yeah. me collective unconscious kind of um the unconscious is an interesting idea too uh, oh yeah <laughs> um, um so I, anyway i, I just yeah. think that because it relates to the tv oh. there and broadcast it, it's not mm. so dissimilar from the circus as a thing that's presenting these archaic things in the unconscious you know i don't know yeah well you know it's funny because um i uh in in way back louis says that he wants to join the circus because he wants to join oh like, shit i forgot the world about these details. He he wants to join the world of entertainment, tell stories, entertain people. Uh, you know, he, he kind of uses these words, which make me think, you know, Louis is sort of like Steven Spielberg, right? It's sort of like, I mean, totally, I'm yeah. kind of, I'm okay, I'm I'm jumping a big leap here because I don't really know. No, that's Steven my Spielberg. thought too. That's my same intuition. Yeah. Like Steven Spielberg is just one of the producers, I think. I'm, I, I don't know. Anyway. Right, right. But it's kind of like what, anyway, let's just follow this thought for a second. Like, 
it's definitely the the joining the circus is kind of the same as joining the movie industry or becoming a yeah dude an artist yeah, yeah. in that way right um right. so so yeah remember jurassic park <laughs> is like an, it's an amusement park it's really close you know mm. circus amusement park those are directly adjacent ideas i'd say absolutely wow oh dude that's really interesting of course you know Fuck. jurassic park it's all like rides <laughs> Yeah, it's the dinosaurs live in the circus. Yeah, yeah, totally. Wow, and 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 the circus is on our screens. Ah, we are the ones. We are the ones watching that. Well, now it's very clear how it all relates to Poltergeist as well. Stevens Mm. is really—he's making the same movie over over again. Yeah, yeah. Which is also, it's about a kid interacting with the screen. All of these involve children, notably. Mm. Jurassic Park 2. There's mm. two child protagonists in that that get an awful lot of attention, it seems to me. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's about, like, childhood. Um, and, you know, God, it's funny because uh, he's... Okay, Wait. You know, sort of oh, uh, collect my thoughts here. Mm. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> Shit, man. I can but, tell like, a doozy is going to the pipe here. <laughs> All right, buckling my seatbelt. <laughs> no, on my butt, as as Sam Jackson instructs us to do in Jurassic Park. <laughs> well, okay, no, th- this is a thought. So, Richard Dreyfus is making the same piece of art. Again and again. Yes, yes. Each time with a little more fidelity to the actual yeah. source of the broadcast. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so it seems that directors or artists who, who at least, um, let's say, we've been interested in uh, seem to be kind of that way in that they make the same movie over and over. Yes. And in, in, in Close Encounters, it's almost, it's kind of, you assume that the reason Richard Dreyfus is making that over and over is not just because he wants to, it's because he really, like, needs to, almost. No, it's, it, he makes it very clear, I mean, Spielberg makes it clear, in my opinion, that, mm. that that character is, like, driven to do it as a compulsion, because he shows how that character loses his whole family, basically. The uh-huh. wife and kid vow to, like this is a guy making real sacrifices to mm. do this weird thing that he doesn't even understand why he's doing it initially, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's totally the portrait of, of like the deranged mad artist. Like mm. that character becomes an alchemist, basically shuts himself away, isolated in his house and just works on this crazy unconscious content surfacing procedure that he's in the middle of. Yeah. Well, it's funny because isn't like Poltergeist is the movie where um, she's reading this young book in bed. Yeah, yeah. Or she's someone, someone is. The wife. Um, and it. So, you know, it's a small jump from there to say that um, Steven Spielberg is in some way. 
uh, aware of this kind of stuff, of this sort of relationship totally. that one can acquire. Doesn't David have some some dirt on Spielberg, <laughs> like copying to to being a Kabbalist on some level? Maybe I'm making that up. Ah. Uh, but I seem to recall David mentioning something in conversation at one point that uh, okay, there's some reason to think Spielberg is, you know, quite interested in the mystical side of Judaism. I, I don't think that's such a stretch for a dude mm-hmm, who mm-hmm. made films about a film about the Holocaust and um, yeah, made various other films that have obvious spiritual sorts of themes. You know, mm-hmm. I totally buy that Spielberg would, is at least aware of the esoteric strains of judaism which would make him yeah aware of all this basic stuff you know <laughs> the pillars yeah all this weirdness you know wow that, that's that's strange because because then it it really makes you feel that um he is in some sense engaged in some sort of a um personal sync quest <laughs> yes yeah well i right I think we both at least i kind of feel like zemeckis mm. must be like the, for me the polar express kind of seals that story like zemeckis is like a jungian christian i don't know if he even knows that but his worldview is clearly reflective mm. of that <clears throat> as a guy who takes seriously both imagination and some kind of religious thing to do with belief you know you just put those together yes. and you get this. Zemeckis and Spielberg are obviously besties. I mean, they collaborated okay. on films like Spielberg produced Back to the Future, you know? Mm, so. Mm. Oh, um, right. Fuck, dude. Right. Yep. Right, right, right. So this it, that's funny because then that, that sort of, in some weird way, gives more credence to the idea that... Um, Again, even if it's not entirely conscious, maybe just dabbling just in an interest in synchronicity and mysticism uh, while being a film director would somehow, it would almost inevitably make your movies like really uh, yeah. intense <laughs> totally. uh, in some way. Mm. Yeah. I don't know, man. And then it, it, it yeah, do you have any thoughts on that cuz I'm kind of like <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I I'm I'm consuming magic herbs at the moment. <clears throat> okay. I'm inhaling more than I'm exhaling. Um <laughs> No, no, I'm just, I'm thinking then, like... I'm just sensing that I need some assistance from the plants here. We're, we're getting very deep into, <laughs> into yeah. uh, something here. This yeah, thing actually, dinosaurs, it honestly, it creeps me out a bit. It's such a, that's such a weird one, because there, there's mm. something dangerous, like... In Jurassic Park, it ends up being a total nightmare, you know? The, the yes. dinosaurs devour everybody, and it's... It's about it's a kind of curiosity killed the cat parable. Mm. We're mm. back seems subtler than that though, doesn't it? Something stranger is going on in that movie. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember all the details of it, but just just trying to kind of 
Yeah, it's, it's such a stranger to me than Jurassic Park. It's so such a subtle sort of movie because not much happens in a sense. It's it's a very short movie, mm. and it's just a, almost a literal sort of like scene for scene, like myth or story. There's no filler. It's just like uh, it's very efficient in telling the story. <laughs> Um, and I'm wondering in connection to this sort of warning, this tale of warning, uh, what is it saying? Cause if, if see, okay, let's look at this. If the circus, if Louis wants to join the circus because he wants to be in some sense, a movie maker, <laughs> uh, <laughs> sorry, I just, I actually was blowing my nose. That was very <laughs> Um, then it, it, it could be that the movie is commenting on what movies can do. Yes. Movies can be a sort of terrifying energy sapping sort of. Yeah, totally. Experience. Man. Well, again, I kind of, I wonder if it isn't a little, so <clears throat> I remember when war of the worlds came out, like the, the Spielberg remake with Tom Cruise, you know? Oh yeah. Um yeah. I watched that with my family. Um like we rented it or something. Mm. And like 20 minutes into it or something or maybe like 40 minutes or something because it has like a slow build. But like as soon as the aliens show up, like my dad was just he just said straight out like he was like so this is another Spielberg movie about the Holocaust, right? <laughs> oh, and really, right. That really, wow. That really affected me <laughs> as a kid actually because I could totally I saw it instantly. I was like, "Oh yeah, like these families are all like they're split up from their kids. And it's like this, like it's mm. totally like it's like Schindler's List again, like but like filtered through a different genre, you know. Um, mm. And so I, I wonder with the dinosaur stuff. To what extent. It isn't Holocaust adjacent as well in some accidental mm -hmm. or implicit way it's about yeah. the the about evil within us running amok somehow maybe i don't yeah. know yeah i think that the dinosaurs are really and I presented, a little bit uh, of a mengele energy on the anti-science stuff in jurassic park it's like a doctor playing in the laboratory i don't know um that's yeah yeah <clears throat> well that's funny because I think the, the villain in We're Back doesn't look so dissimilar from the villain in in um, Raiders of the Lost Ark, you know, just like a black coated, like long coated Nazi idea. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, well, yeah, and there's this weird mix of um, magic and technology because he has this machine that can listen to people's fears oh um, fuck dude i forgot I, dude i barely am even remembering this movie i had completely forgotten about that hold so on I it's look up screenshots or something so then he can he, he knows machine. dude i forgot about this this is crazy <laughs> and then he may he uses that information to create his uh shows oh yeah he right, tries right. to he tries to fine tune his circus to be as um, 
as adequately scary as oh, possible. Weird. So, so it is. It's like a perception management, like propaganda metaphor almost. Oh, you know? fuck. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which I would think really would tie it into like Nazi Germany and Stalinist Russia and all those kinds of ideas, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. this is a direct. What's the other cartoon he made? It was Feifel right which is a jewish mouse diaspora idea also set in new york right is it in new york i don't remember look i don't think i I, i'm not an american i'm not super familiar with that one um american tale yeah yeah 1986 and it's totally new york statue of liberty is right there on the mm. poster frame oh, with shit. two boots <laughs> Oof, i have not watched this in decades <laughs> it, it came out on 11 21 1986 how's that for a nice back to the future p- preface <laughs> 121 energy wow Oof, i'm looking at screenshots and it's kind of like really bringing back weird like proto memories. <laughs> yeah, I haven't watched this in a long time either. It had a sequel to Fievel Goes West. Yes. Yeah. So I was actually very obsessed with these movies as a kid. I remember them pretty well. Um, I was mm. more obsessed with the sequel. I, I seem to have been into the sequels more than the originals mostly when I was a kid. I don't know if that was true for you, but like I preferred the second Turtles movie. I preferred, mm. I preferred the third Back to the Future. I wasn't allowed to watch part two um, for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked Ghostbusters two better than Ghostbusters one, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I preferred yeah. the second final as well. But the first one is probably more numerate, uh, numinous. Um, mm-hmm. I think I have a similar memory as a kid of finding the sequels kind of sweeter in some sense because they're like this special treat you're getting like it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a treat to get a sequel somewhere how i don't know it's like you're, you're getting more of the same so it's it's good uh mm. <laughs> it's good news and as an adult i can see also that the fact that a sequel is always building on the material established in the first one so it's very often like richer the the sequels are always almost always better from a sync standpoint Mm, mm, i've noticed that that really seems to be the rule like hellraiser one is a beautiful film Mm. and it's better as an experience and that might give it special utility as a psychological tool as well because it's just so Mm. numinous and cool like to you know so I don't mean to just to take anything away from it at all, but it is just a fact that Hellraiser three receives more precognitive material. There's more of it in there, mm-hmm. just like yeah. shot for shot. There are many more matches in it, um, and that I've noticed that over and over again. And also I've noticed that the knockoffs even more than the sequels. So like <laughs> Gremlins two gets more than Gremlins one, but Critters gets so much it's like nauseating you know uh so i don't know what that's about (laughs) 
absolutely. No, I know. It's, it's weird. It's it, to an unconscious preference for the trash. God is going to grace the garbage with, mm. the, with the spiritual gold, you know? Yeah. Just as much as the, as the nice, big, polished thing. <laughs> and it's funny. Yeah, you're right. Because knock, knockoffs, like, it's something about how they're made as well because they're made with a different kind of mentality they're made in reference already right mm. correspondence thinking is invoked in their very design because ah. you're trying to copy this other movie <laughs> but copy it in a way that is a bit invisible so that it can mm. pretend to be its own thing and not get into legal trouble also isn't that weird <laughs> right that's funny. They're copying other pictures. So mm. we get copies of these other other pictures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, sequels and stuff like that are like um yeah, that they're already comments. They're, they're like uh exegesis. Just in a referential network already, yeah. Mm -hmm. They they funny. they already relate to, to other things. Yeah. And I think I, I, I can't help feeling something about money is sometimes involved because it's true that really mm. like low budget. It's weird. Money affects movies in different ways, I think, because yeah. really low, low budget stuff is extremely sinky in a, in a weird way. For sure. So, like, I think it's a huge thing with John Carpenter. He was a, mm. he was a low budget filmmaker for most of his career. The thing was an exception, you know, mm. Um Prince of okay, Darkness right. was made on like it was completely independently funded. So I don't think it was more than like two hundred thousand dollars or something. I'm not sure. It yeah. was probably a little bit more than that, but uh, really tiny amounts of money for film. Um, and you yes. can see how it influenced his style. You know, mm. he's being very efficient with how he dresses scenes to be mm. as evocative as possible without having to actually show a lot of scale or etc. You know. Mm. Uh, so yeah, I find I find this stuff so interesting, like the the financial constraints that exist on art, and how the unconscious can leverage them maybe to make mm. something maybe even better than what would have happened if you had unlimited budgets. You know? Yeah, well, because I'm even thinking that uh, something that happens with sequels sometimes is that there is stuff in the first movie that is successful for unknown reasons. Yes. No one could have predicted yes, that, exactly. that this would have been successful. And then the sequel is is aware of that. Yes. And never more aware of that, probably, than mm. in Back to the Future Part 2. I mean, that's the movie... I, I just... Out of a sync context now, just mm -hmm. talking about like the history of cinema, you know? That is the sequel that shows you how a sequel is made because it literally goes into the first movie to watch it again with extra material grafted onto it. It just actually does that structurally because they go back in time to the same events. So you, <laughs> you go back to the same scenes, you get to see the same scenes again, but different, yeah. which is what people want out of a sequel. <laughs> They yes. want this impossible thing of the same thing before, but new and exciting at the same time. Well, that's really hard to design, you know? 
Right, dude. Back to the Future kind of shows that to you as a little movie metaphor in the like the way it builds its action. I, I think, and and it itself is a sequel, so it yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. It's almost as if the audience wants a sync movie of their first movie. <laughs> there, there you go. Oh, that's brilliant. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Like you, sync. Yeah. you watch the first movie and you can feel the numinousness of it yes. and you want, you want something to um, unpack it somehow. You want something that will exactly like really unpack the material in the first movie. <laughs> Elaborate. You want an mm. elaboration. Mm-hmm. Mm. I'm just holding yep. in more weed smoke here. Yep. Uh, God. But I wanted to say, mm. I mean that um, in the musical sense, you know, um, mm-hmm. it, an elaboration or an embellishment, you know, it's like, I mean, that's what Riven did so effectively, yeah, is it? it Mm. felt, it succeeded in feeling as if it came first. You know what I mean? And Mist was an excellent of it, you know? It recontextualized the first piece such that it seemed like a quotation or or a simpler version of or something, you know? Yes. It it does everything yeah. the first game did and more and better and doesn't invalidate it but extends it and honors it at the same time, you know. Um, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, wow, I'm I'm thinking it, it, the, the image that conjures up is that you have okay, so mist is let's say a circle, a small circle in a mandala. Yes. Like in the center of the mandala. And then Riven is the is the bigger circle that it's included in. Totally. Yeah. So I'm yeah. wondering if maybe sequels And in a funny way it is that way or oh no, it's so strange, but it's like Riven only exists because Mist existed. So Mist creates the conditions for a thing that is more elaborate than it, but that exists in the future. So it Uh it is a weird backwards aspect to art often like that. It often seems like the older pieces are like, you can see what they were driving towards once Mm. you're many pieces down the road, you learn about the implicit teleology that was present in the original creative process but that was yeah. invisible to you from that position on the map. Now I see, oh, wow, this was a period where I was working with these particular issues. These, you know, When you're in it, it, that's much harder to see. It's only later after you've seen how the arrow pointed and where it led towards that you can line up all your previous images in a sequence and say, aha, I was learning how to paint faces in this way. Yes. I was learning, how, you know, et cetera, et cetera. I was exploring my childhood through the metaphor of <laughs> small town houses or whatever I'm painting, you know, etc. Right. Wow, dude, maybe this is what makes sequels numinous is that the 
the way that the first movie or the first game seems to uh, lead towards the second one, I think that if that content wasn't conscious to the creators, like the, if the creators weren't aware of that, then in order to make the sequel, they've had to become aware of it. Like, totally. like th th there are certain arrows in mist that point in certain directions, certain doors that are left open to explore thematically and in the story and everything. And what would be cool, I don't know if this is what how it was, but it's that maybe you make that game and then you realize what that game is telling you. So the, as a creator, as an artist, the game tells you something that you weren't consciously telling. It's, yes. it's talking to you as a voice from, from somewhere else. Right. <laughs> and, and, mm. and then you make the sequel informed by that. Mm. So the sequel couldn't have existed without that um, communication, basically. Mm. It, this, the sequel is like the proof. When a sequel works and is good, it's the proof of that somehow. You know, it's funny because I'm, I'm just thinking about this basic idea now even a little more abstractly about just kind of set mm. up and pay off for something, which mm. is embedded in so many different things. Like, Because we could say the same thing about like good level design within a game. The, the later levels should feel like sequels to the early levels, you know, in the sense that they should develop and extend the simple things you learn to do in the simple levels. By the time you're on level eight, nine, or 10 of a game, you want it to feel like this natural elaboration and progression of mechanics, you know? The game has been teaching you these maneuvers, if it's like an action game, say, or conceptual tools if it's a puzzle game and by the end of the game that all gets to come together into this big dynamic tool set you know that you get to use to mm. soar through the game world in some way so like in metroid that's when you have all the power-ups and have unlocked all the areas you know um it, in sonic it's just more about how you develop your um actual yeah. like timing and, and like sort of musical relationship to the level Layouts. You kind of learn it like a piece of music and uh, mm. eventually become very, very adept at doing that, etc. Um, but also, I think like the structure of Back to the Future, just as a movie, is like a movie that kind of contains its own sequel in a way because it has these two time zones, you know? It mm. sets up things in one story that then have consequences in this other story that's playing out in the future. So when you watch the stuff happen later after Marty has made changes in the past. It's like watching the sequel to that story that takes place in the past, you know? Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the first movie becomes the sequel to the second one. Or it's like the first movie becomes the sequel to the first movie. It's like, ah, ha, ha, ha. it's like the first movie has within it, two movies a 1985 movie and a 1955 movie <laughs> and the the 19 right yeah movie mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um exists as a consequence of all like back to the future it's like a movie that shows you all of these little things 
and you don't know why the director is showing you these little things. Like, in my opinion, it feels even a little bit unnatural or something. It's like Marty and Jennifer are about to kiss, and then the old lady interrupts them, like, save the clock tower with, like, a flyer with all this information on it. And suddenly it's, like, delivering you all this, like, info about when this clock tower blew up. It's like, why is any of this happening? But then by the end of the movie, those elements have... Every single thing that's been set up has like a a payoff. It has a reflection. It has a sequel. It has it has a mm. thing that that adds context to it in a way that extends its meaning in a way that's satisfying and lands like a punchline. That's what you want a sequel to do as a whole, and that's what Zemeckis does kind of scene for scene, beat for beat. Back to the Future is a movie where every scene, I mean, really almost every scene has a sister scene somewhere that has the same mm. basic rhythm and visual structure. Um, mm. uh, and even often the same dialogue, you know. So mm -hmm. Back to the Future Part 1 is kind of, it's already doing that internally. It's doing this weird refraction between two kind of parallel stories. And then Part 2 just makes it like, totally like crazily fractal by then having a literal sequel that re-enters that mess in the first yeah. movie like <laughs> yeah 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 zemeckis is such it, it, a head fuck he does not get enough if... credit he's doing such psychedelic stuff it's just that he's doing it in an area that people don't see so structurally usually they feel it as the narrative payoff but if you actually like map it a little bit visually, you see like, wow, Zemeckis is doing this crazy like wormhole nested theme mm. image game, you know, and it's man. I'm really, yeah. really a fan. <laughs> I it, guess. It, it's as if the movie itself like is aware of its own structure as a movie. Um, yes. yes. So it, it uses peculiar feeling of self-awareness, you know, mm. a dream that knows it's a dream. It, it, because, yeah, it's almost as if it's a movie about time travel because time travel serves as a way of talking about the movie itself <laughs> as, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. as something that as something that moves through time time uh, yeah 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 and i'm and he puts all this movie stuff in it you know like the mm. the movie theater that becomes the church and all of that mm. um and he stages the central action and i would say like symbol like the symbolic climax of the film happens right in front of that movie theater church mm. with the clock tower being struck and all of that Clearly, that's it's important. Like cinema is like right there as a big symbol in that in that tableau, you know. You know. Okay, so okay, here's the thing. <laughs> I wonder if so. On the one hand, you know, Robert Zemeckis is like a really good director, and at yes. the same time, this is happening in the '80s. Yes, and. I, I wonder if maybe this 
maybe this movie and Robert Zemeckis are like a really good example of the kind of self-awareness that movies were acquiring by that time. Interesting. I like that. Um, that maybe the 80s is a moment where m movies bec start to become a little self-aware. And m my theory of this is maybe all of these directors probably all of their like this the interest that we seem to notice in mysticism like the, the way in which some of these movies seem to have these sort of themes of mysticism in them yes could that have something to do with just the way that uh psychedelics and mysticism flooded the united states in the 60s i don't know if it's ah, flooded exactly but but yes, just yeah, yeah. the way that maybe and, and maybe this is not this is definitely not true. Like, okay. What if these were like the first directors to like really experiment with watching movies, uh, on psychedelics? Oh, I see. How interesting. Huh? I'm maybe not. Cause I'm sure, you know, all sorts of different kinds of drugs and had been combined with art making for all of history. But, but there's something sure. about the way that, that, uh, you know, no, but I see what you mean. Mushrooms. Like, just thinking about my favorite example, John Carpenter, you know? Mm -hmm. I yeah. really do think of him as, like, the first kind of, like, native stoner movie maker or something, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, his movies are such a cannabis perspective thing. Maybe that's not obvious to everybody, but I, I feel like it's really obvious. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. they're just, like, soaked in it, you know? In a deep and subtle way though, you know, um, and that's what makes it so cool. Um, um, but yeah, yeah. I wonder if it, you know, it, it must relate partially. Carpenter maybe prefaces it a little bit. Cause I guess he, he grew up slightly before this, but like, I would think that what happens in the eighties, right. Is the, is the ascendancy of the VCR. So you can watch movies at home for the first time rather than at ah, a theater. And yeah. if it's at home, you can smoke weed, yeah. obviously. So it, oh, it probably fuck. really yeah. does track like <laughs> the first generation of like teenagers that grew up with the idea of like smoking weed and watching movies like like in an easier way. Obviously, it's possible to smoke weed and then go to a movie theater. I think people did that with Space Odyssey 2001, right? That was the mm -hmm. thing. Hippies would get oh. fucked up on acid and other stuff and go watch it. Yeah. Um, but that, that requires quite a bit of, it's just with home video, home video and weed go together because home video mm -hmm. lets you slow down and pause <laughs> and fast forward and rewind the movie and uh, pay attention to subtle things in it, you know? Yeah, yeah. Rewinding is a big one. That's why my game is going to be called Easy Prime's Radical Rewind. <laughs> oh, fuck. I love that title. <laughs> the That's amazing. It's like the Easy Prime. It like primes the unconscious, you know? And then the Radical Rewind is, the, is what you get. <laughs> a Radical Rewind. <laughs> I love that. So stupid. I love it too. Uh, oh man, I love it. Yeah, and definitely. I mean, it's it's a it's a rewind. 
isn't it? It's it's yeah. you're going back to the past, yes. but it ah uh, fuck. Mm. Yeah, there's there's a lot implied in rewinding, um, and it's something people couldn't do before. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, how interesting! <laughs> because Back to the Future, it it is like a movie designed for VCRs. You know what I mean? It's a movie mm-hmm. that knows people are going to watch it a hundred million times. So Zemeckis packs it with stuff to discover in the home yes. video market. Smart. That's smart. A smart business thing too. It's like you're mm. you're putting value into your product that is going to distinguish it as a competitor. Other movies are going to get boring, but not Back to the Future. There's always some extra element to catch and think about in it. And mm. and as a kid, I mean, I watched it so repetitively. It never got old to me. That movie. Dude. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. That's the other thing, isn't and it's it? It's called Back to the Future, so it's kind of evoking a rewind thing in its title, obviously, you know. Yeah. And and I I guess that VCR generation, we're kind of like the generation around us is the we were people who watched the same movie fifty times. Yeah. You, you wouldn't have been able to do that before. You had to go to the cinema 50 times. That's true. It's very true. Yeah. So, so the very sort of the sync um, mentality of watching the same movie 50 times is born then. Uh, yes. And, you know, it might be a little yeah. unique to then, too, because now I think that the trend is different with, with stuff like YouTube. There's mm. so much material. You're not going to watch one thing over and over and over again. You know. Oh, fuck. To the next thing. Um, yes. Yeah. 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 So kids yeah. growing up in this media environment, they're they're going to have a a very sync friendly perspective, but a different kind of one. Theirs mm. is going to be about kind of this giant like spread of content. They're going to see so much content that they might start to perceive the higher level patterns behind all that content. You know. Um, yes. Whereas we saw a small set of content hyper repetitively and cued into the patterns in that way. Same results, but different uh, avenues of approach. Right. Today's generation might watch the same meta movie many times. Yes, yes, yes. Right, because... (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Oh, that's such a great way to put it. Holy shit. Exactly (laughs) that. Exactly that. But by watching loads of different movies, loads of them all the time, yeah. they'll eventually start noticing that they're always watching the same one. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. That's funny. Uh, and I, I wanted to say something about VCRs as well because I, when I, I watched, oh, sorry, um, we're back uh, had this thing to it where the characters are not very developed because it's just one hour long. So the characters become like intense friends instantly. They just meet and they're already like friends for life. And, and I think that this is also something. How um, do the Adam and Animus meet in that one? Louis and Cecilia. How do they actually, does he like, he like crashes into her apartment through the ceiling or something. If I remember that correctly. <laughs> yes, he's 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 flying in the sky, uh, hanging on to the pterodactyl. So is it just complete chance 
It's total chance. Ah, uh, that's that's a good point. I think it is. That's so funny. Why, <laughs> Literally they... just like a random collision. <laughs> yeah. And and the pterodactyl that's like that's a plane into a building. <laughs> pterodactyl. Absolutely. No, I, 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 I did, I, I did think of that. Yeah, because they're, they're. I mean, it's one of those movies that's exactly. It's a bit strange to watch now because you have all these flying objects flying right next to the twin towers. Interesting. Um, and the pterodactyl is the only female dinosaur, so she, uh, she is and the one. Purple. Yeah, she's purple. And purple, yes. So she is the one who brings him to the, to this like Rapunzel kind of character because she's trapped oh, in yeah. this. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah! Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and but but so th- th- then this movie seems made for VCR because y- you watch this movie so many times as a kid. Mm-hmm. That the characters become your friends; they become really well known to you. <laughs> yeah. So the the it's weird because then the fact that their friendships in the movie are super intense with no kind of build up mm. m- makes sense after repeated w- uh, viewings. <laughs> yes. Oh, I see what you mean. That's really Cause, interesting. Because because. Exactly, because you you know you know characters. them. Yeah, yeah, you already know what happens in the future. So, exactly. So all that setup does happen. It just happens in the future of the movie, <laughs> which you've already experienced. So yeah, it, it does make sense on the second loop, right? So so it doesn't exactly. I found that so so funny because it's so like sure that's really funny. The, yeah. the 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 characters don't need to set things up because you've set them up. By watching the movie more than <laughs> yeah, once, right, 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 exactly. Um, which is definitely an experience that that it seems children had uh, in, at that time. Well, we just... yeah. And Back to the Future does the same kind of trick, right? That's kind of that's what I was trying to say before. I think like the mm. there are all these little things that happen in the scenes that feel inexplicable when you watch it the first time. It's like, why are these little weird yes. <laughs> things happening all the time? But when you watch it on the loop, you see that they're, they're actually little jokes that reference stuff that happens later in the movie, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, right. It's, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Totally like, like he's like made a movie that like references itself non-linearly. All the parts reflect all the other parts, you know? You can't see that on the first pass. So things that are actually beautiful symmetries look like anomalies. Mm. You're just like, oh, what's that? But you haven't seen the other half of it yet. <laughs> Once you see the other half, then when you cycle back through, you see, oh, it's part of this beautiful balance that exists in the film that kind of uh, sim- symmetrifies the whole movie, you know? I don't know. Mm. Robert Zemetris. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, well, it's it's funny, isn't it? That that they they're like made for VCR, yeah, um, or 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 like mm, the f- movies start to be 
objects that you know you'll be able to watch again and again every Christmas if you want or whatever. Yeah. Um, Dude. Uh, God, so I don't know. Ghostbusters 2016. Mm. When that movie came out, there was some discussion, I remember, about the fact that it seemed to be a film designed for GIF making. That it was like it had kind of telescoped the size of the scene down to smaller chunks and then within those scenes placed a bunch of stuff for visual flair. Um, and I think this pertains specifically to, um, oh shit, what's her name? Um, the actor who played the female version of Egon. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, oh God. Shit. I can't remember. I have to look it up. I'm going to have to look it up. Uh, she's on SNL and stuff, I think, right? You know what I'm talking about? Um, Kate McGinnon. There we go. Yes. It's a Kate McGinnon yeah. performance, you know? Um, she's like, she knows that it's going to be captured on the internet. And so she mm. gives you all these little jiffable things in the background with her character, you know? Mm. It's mm. always doing mm. something interesting that you might want to screen cap, you know? It's like, I, I do think we're seeing the internet now having a similar effect on films structurally. Like, movies are being made where the people that make them know that a good part of how these films are going to promote themselves is about yeah. having little bite-sized moments of visual spectacle or visual comedy or vi whatever, but visual being key. Things that can work without audio <laughs> yeah. so that they hook people's eyeballs when they're in a feed, like an infinite scroll context on Instagram or wherever. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it, which encourages kind of a, a, a filmmaking style where you get like a like a quilt or a patchwork feeling to the whole movie. It's like a bunch of little bits where the edges are kind of clearly marked. They can still add up to a beautiful thing, but you can see those edges, you know? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, definitely... Part. So many, you're right, so many recent movies, uh, every single moment of them, you could screen cap because yes. it's, yes. Exactly. They, um, exactly. they, they, it's almost like even when it's a live action movie, it feels like an animation. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Because everything in the frame is paid attention to. Yes. Uh, and, and is very like stimulating all the time yeah there, there there are no like there's very little uh st stillness or just space. one area of yeah. the yeah yeah mm. there's very little space when it's like fill in all it's, it's funny it's because that's like a trend in schizophrenic art you know like if you look right. at if you look you're at you're right you're right yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they fill like the page like to the very core like there's no white space you know oh my um, god <laughs> Dude, exactly. Yeah, we're doing, as Jung uh, would say, we're doing a schizophrenia. Yeah, as, totally. As yeah. as a as a culture. Um, yeah. Which yeah, which obviously is... which s s sort of 
might imply that precisely an enormous upsurge from the unconscious is oh. coming because that's that's usually what the that's condition usually is, what right? That is, yeah, right. Um, and fuck, <laughs> yeah. And then it's funny because then, of course, the the okay, then the, as we said, so many of these like movies uh, recently seem to be <laughs> also about like enormous forces of darkness coming and invading the world and, and stuff like that after like m maybe this is I, i'm not sure i'm kind of like th threading all sorts of things here but it's as if mm -hmm. we said how after 9-11 there is like uh, uh an upsurge in movies that seem to be or maybe not after 9-11 right but a few years later there is this whole like superhero uh anti-terrorist kind of superhero thing where yes yeah m movies seem to be about threats from the outside yeah uh and then ghostbusters 2016 sonic the movie just to, to mention a few movies we've watched recently um they're also about sort of these n n ominous threats but in Sonic, it's technology. Mm. In in Ghostbusters, it seems to be like also some sort of a a machine that will bring it's ghosts. A, yeah. uh, <laughs> it's a machine designed by a societal reject, you know. In mm. that case. Mm. It's very interesting that that film takes that in that direction because it's not really a thing that is present in the in the first two films in any way that I can see, you know? Mm. Yeah. Right? Or am I just missing some obvious thing about Ghostbusters? But it seems the, like that's such a... The societal reject kind of aspect yeah, to it. Yeah. Like, because yeah. like... I'm just thinking about like Rick Moranis' character in uh, Busters. You know, characters like a dweeb and all that, but like he's, it's totally played for laughs, you know. And then it's weird that in Ghostbusters 2016, like that kind of character ends up being like the main villain, you know, um, mm -hmm. and is played for laughs also, but then also is actually sinister. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that Absolutely, movie in yeah. particular, it, it existed in, in relation to Gamergate and all of that. So there's a ton of complicated political stuff in that movie, which, which appeared right on the edge of the transition into Trump America, right? Mm -hmm. 2016 was the election. It's uh, July 11th that the movie came out. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I... I... I think that's definitely an important aspect of it. This thing of shit, because we would, okay. So this is what we said about Sonic as well, right? Sonic mm -hmm. is a recluse. He, he is, he lives alone and is exactly. isolated. Right. Exactly. From, yes. So, which obviously is about it's technology, right? It's yes. that everyone lives in their own little, um, world now like that's one way of saying it yes. uh 
Or at least, you know, let's say that's what these movies is saying. I don't know if that's what's happening exactly. Sure, sure. But okay, like, yeah. the, the, the movies are saying like that there is this way in which technology and isolation uh, are like the themes for some sort of a enormous upsurge of unconscious content. Yes. Um, which... I don't know, Oof. man. I don't know what to yeah. think about it, to be honest. Because a part of me just thinks, well, you know, on the one hand, I feel a bit like Terence McKenna or something, like saying, oh, you know, some huge event is just close by or something. Yeah. But yeah. And, 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 and so a part of me feels like, well, you know, he thought it was close. And, you know, like, like what, what does it mean? What does this feeling of closeness mean exactly? Um, but I can't help feel that screen technology is like the thing. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Same screen technology seems to be like the thing that makes us, um, reflect on, on these things where we're watching them in front of us. Yeah. No, dude, I completely agree. I mean, I, I think that what, we and many others have lived through with screens is really the proof of that. It's like the first big proof of that coming down the pipe, you know, <laughs> we're people that, yeah. that discovered that there's something about the way human beings can relate with, to screens that, that can be psychoactive actually. Yeah. That's a big deal. So yeah, mm. I, I, I'd say we have not begun really to explore the mm. potential of what, we can do with screens. Um, and it, it's totally a case of the technology getting far more sophisticated than our understanding of how to use it. You know, already we're like VR is a thing that's manifesting and we, we don't even have a good grip yeah, on yeah. the actual dynamics taking place with these simple two dimensional things. <laughs> <laughs> even the two dimensional oh, ones shit, can be man. portals into infinity, eternity, etc. Yeah, <laughs> dude. 3D ones, fucking A, you know. VR is going to be such a trip because, <laughs> um, like, imagine, like, uh, okay, I was just watching recently stuff about PS5. Um, oh, yeah, and, I just started to look into it the other day, too. And apparently, like, the remote um, vibrates and acts differently depending on the different moments in the game so like certain buttons shoulder buttons become harder to press or easier to press depending on on the situation so if you're shooting a yeah. uh, like bow and arrow then the buttons will become really hard to press because you're like stretching the bow right. um, and so on and I was thinking well okay so the way that if you were immersed in VR and all sorts of things were like sending tactile signals and like vibrations and things like that. Like you, you would have enormous, like I think emotional responses to it because yeah, yeah I think so. Yeah. Because the muscles, because this is all about in some say, sense, it's also about the muscles as well. Like you, you would feel um, like you're in this place your, your, it's sensory deprivation in a sense. Mm. Right, totally. And it's, it's sensory deprivation tanks are known to have these sort of weird psychedelic effects on people. 
Yes. So this, it's like a VR is like a sensory deprivation tank where instead of deprivation, you're just exchanging your visual senses and some of your tactile senses for, for new ones, for simulations of other experiences. And so like, I can just imagine myself like in a VR version of mist or something and like having these enormous, like (gasps) emotional responses to it also because it's a fucking Mm. rewind. It's something, it's a game I've already played. Mm. Like, Mm. Your, your, oh, your... dude, yeah. Miss VR is going to be such a crazy experience. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah. Totally. It's going to be entering a fantasy world from our childhoods. That's really, it's cool what, they, what they're able, what they can do mm. now. Mm-hmm. They, can, they can make that real. <laughs> We're actually going to step through the linking book in a far, you know, like kind of for real. God, fuck, dude, of course. Because the game, that's the thing. The game is already about this. The game is about yeah, exactly, stepping exactly, exactly. through a link. It was board. made for this, really. <laughs> it was made for this. It's so crazy. And yeah. And and this takes me and back it to Terrence. You're right. It wouldn't, it's, it's as if they should have waited to make it because they were trying to do like a VR thing <laughs> with like 90s uh, Max, you know? Um, but if they had waited, then it, they wouldn't be able to pull this pull this trick now, where it really is a world that's been living in our imaginations too. It's been missed. Is a place that I went to in my dreams when I was a kid, you know. Yeah. yeah so it's yeah. it's in my unconscious. Um, it's been just so now yeah. that it can be VR for real. It's yeah. It's yeah. It'll have that feeling. Yeah. 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 Cool. Anyway, so you're just gonna say about Terrence. Well, it's funny, like, um, how precisely, it's almost like it doesn't matter that much what they make, like, how the game is. It does, but what I mean is, like, the game could be all sorts of different ways, technically. Like, maybe it's clunky, or maybe it's very smooth. But in all of those versions, the player's who play it are going to be filling in the gaps with their own emotions and their own yes. memories. Yes. Like it, it's a game that's it's, it will be partly made with 3d polygons and partly made with your own emotion. Uh, God, that's, that's so true. <laughs> really. Cause like, you know, like I played mist with my dad. And so all mm-hmm. those locations, like I have memories about my dad, you know, like, I remember yes. when he solved this or that puzzle. Or I remember, I remember that it was a day that was raining when we read those, yeah. those books in the library, you know? Um, yeah. So it is. It, it serves as like, a, yeah, that's <laughs> so weird. I think that was that's, true for yeah. a lot, a lot of people, you know? It was like a family game, sort of. Oof. Yeah, that's a good point. I, exactly. I mean, I, I think it's going to really bring that back <laughs> yeah um and just like about um terrence they, better, they just, better make a multiplayer mode i want to be able to explore that with my dad with two headsets you know oh that would be that would be really weird yeah like what, what if we could one. just have like our podcast like 
in like on Mist Island. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> they should just make it like a chat oh, room, you dude. know, it's like hang out on Mist, you know. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Man, that would be amazing. Yeah, we could even like go, like we could go for a walk. Like we, we, you know, like we don't even need to. <laughs> we don't even be still. <laughs> uh, but it, it, isn't that like what Terence was saying as well? Because I was so on the one hand, you know, I could say, oh well, you know, Terence, um, blah blah blah. Uh, he he. It seems like it. It wasn't exactly what he said or whatever. But at the same time, he, his main idea towards the end of his life was that virtual reality would play a major role in everything yeah. that he thought was going to yeah. happen in terms of psychedelia. So um, it does seem like, in my mind, nothing seems to be contradicting that yet. Like, like uh, virtual reality I seems agree. to be... Yeah. The way the the place where screen technology just um, really becomes a kind of psych- triggering of for psychedelic uh, phenomena. Mm, yes, and I don't know what that means, but uh, I think with the well with video games in general, but mm. with VR even more so, it becomes possible to teach in a new way actually because you can guide people through a direct experience and that's always been the issue i think like with this Jungian stuff and all this stuff it's like you you're trying to describe something in some media like think about what jung was doing writing these books trying to describe in a book this stuff the whole idea of active imagination could be conveyed to somebody in a VR simulation mm. in a game design, I think much more comprehensively than trying yeah. to explain to people how to do it in a book, you know? And just kind of the existence of VR as an idea that people are familiar with Oof. primes them to understand it anyway, because active imagination is a kind of VR. So I think they're like the the pedagogical potential for this technology as a as a way to teach better relationship with fantasy is probably very high but i think also there's corresponding dangers <laughs> about it. it might encourage very negative relationships with fantasy as well so yeah but yeah it's a fantasy something i mean yeah because of, because of the interactive component, especially. It's not like a movie that's just going to stream an external dream at you. It's a dream that you can participate in to some degree. So it's different. Yeah. Imagine like a sync video in VR where like you just guide the player through a series of movies that you want to show yes and well this is basically what i'm trying to do in my game like i'm thinking Mm. about i want my game to be easy to like put into vr you know um oh wow you can make vr out of unity stuff i think like natively now um wow wow that would be amazing (laughs) 
yeah it would be so cool um oh um but yeah totally it's like it's like how do you develop an argument or explain an idea spatially basically mm -hmm. is the is the task like and so you look partly back at things that we've that we've used to do that in the real world like a museum is that it's a way of conveying yeah. information through spatial exploration you know mm. um but obviously in vr you don't have the same limitations that you have with actual stone building you know make all kinds Fuck, of this, weird stuff <laughs> this is remind it's it, it's yeah it's reminding me again of uh close encounters how he's building the same thing again and again at higher levels of fidelity. And um, this seems to be something Terrence McKenna was kind of talking about, right? That somehow VR is in some sense a mm, distilled form of everything that we've been doing before. Like, like, yeah. Right, screen right. technology before and seems to be pointing towards an actual sort of union between mind and matter mm. uh where somehow it's like we're in a in a exactly like in a mason sort of way it's like we're building we're building the world <laughs> we're, we're building the world mm. in a way that pre-inscribes a certain awareness of the world being also mind yes like like we're saying yes you can walk through an island made of rocks and water but it's also a a a mind um mm -hmm. it's both of these things mm -hmm. uh and i wonder like i wonder what effect that would have um sort of on our dreams, on our lucid dreaming, mm. maybe uh, very strange. And that's not to say, and and also the the other thing is that it seems that psychedelics are on a trend towards legalization. This obviously could change, in depending, but yes. mm. it seems like wasn't there like some state in the United States legalized mushrooms for the first time? Oh yeah, there's been a lot of that. I think yeah. Uh, I'm I'm not sure how like real that news line was or how clickbaity, but I well, actually, I know that Montana just legalized marijuana. Potential Sonic tie-in there. <laughs> oh fuck! And also, actually, my parents were telling me because they live in Montana that uh, there's been a huge wave of people moving to Montana, like get, leaving the cities, you know, because of the pandemic. Mm. Mm. Right. So that makes me think about Sonic as well, you know, because of like he like decides to stay in Montana instead of moving to a city, you know? <laughs> mm, mm, mm. Yeah, that's funny. Before how the poster looks like a coronavirus and it all kind of works as an isolation metaphor too. And then it's like stay in small towns, you know, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. don't go to San Francisco. Don't be a big cop in San Francisco. Stay in the tiny isolated town. That's better. <laughs> that's, that's, it yeah that's weird because then it, it's tracking this weird uh change of like vr is getting better and potentially yes. again this is all potential but potentially psychedelic drugs are going to be more available 
which means that VR and psychedelic drugs may collide at the same point in time. Yes, and at, at the same point where we, we all might be spending much more time indoors in a much mm. longer range way than people are maybe currently imagining. You know, I don't know if this pandemic issue is going to go away exactly. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. COVID-19 will go away, I assume, whatever that means, herd immunity or whatever with it. But mm. yeah, similar crisis. I mean, I don't know. I, I would have, you know, we all kind of thought another 9-11 would happen. Like, when's the next big terrorist attack on mm-hmm. on domestic soil? And that never really happened. It hasn't happened yet. Mm. So maybe it won't be what I'm imagining, but I kind of, I don't know. We'll see, I guess. It just does seem like there are various trends that are making people more, like, physically isolated, though. Yeah, yeah. At the same time that this immersive screen tech and psychedelic drugs are are maybe going to collide as well. Totally, dude. This is so, okay, this is so strange <laughs> because it feels as if our, like, let's say our physical world is becoming more and more, like, limited and closed. Yes. And then our imaginal or like mind world is growing in some way you know i really think it's a result of having kind of been the frog in the boiling water but like if we were to go back a few years and listen to ourselves have these have like parallel conversations you know i'm Mm -hmm. pretty sure we were asking like like wouldn't it be interesting thing if like things in society accelerated in some way that made sync more probable and we were trying to like imagine scenarios and i I think one of the things that we imagined Mm. was like well what if something happened that made everyone really way more isolated and like etc like oh fuck dude yeah like yeah looking at the situation now today it's it seems like way more progressed than where it was at Uh, i think we kind of got our answer to it in a way you're Um, right we yeah no absolutely yeah 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 (laughs) Oh, strange. Very strange. <laughs> exactly. Time vertigo. A little little whiff of it there. Yeah. <laughs> and then like the, the market seems to have something to do with it. As like as in like the the our isolation is affecting the way that we're using uh the, the that that we're understanding market transactions, I think, somehow. Yeah. In 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 that like mm, it's becoming more difficult to like, you know, run a restaurant uh, and do like the whole thing is reshifting <laughs> in some strange way, wh- which uh, is, is, I don't know. I, I haven't sort of thought about it much, to, uh, but, but, but there is some way in which, our that that's the weird thing and I, that's why i think a part, yeah. part of why i was thinking about the randy stare stuff earlier in the mm. chat you know mm. it just is a little story about someone isolated with technology mm. um mm. which is like the degree to which he was isolated with technology is unusual mm. today but might not be so unusual tomorrow you know mm-hmm. um he was a guy that he worked a night shift and was, you know, he had his whole kind of reality weirdly wired, you know, he was just working all night, sleeping all day. Mm. And then every spare moment 
that he had, he was spending with projections of his unconscious, not yeah. with other people. Mm. Like Adobe supported projections of the unconscious, you know, which are pretty low fidelity. Creative tools in VR, mm. that's the thing to watch. Like VR, mm. like systems that let you create VR worlds from within VR, you know? <laughs> Like I yes. put on my headset and I, and then there's just a toolkit and I can just make beings and popular, you know, like the closer we get to that kind of holodeck thing where people can externalize their personal fantasies. Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That ought to be big, like um, market driver anyway, in VR, like yeah. a general simulator that lets you live out a fantasy that would yes. sell fucking like you would not believe like the ability to be like, I want to just like beat up my boss and to make like yeah. a, uh, yeah, like, I don't want. I love my boss, but like you know, yeah, someone yeah. wants to do that. Um, you just describe it to this thing, ideally in natural language, and it just makes like a really nice, realistic simulation of that for you. Like maybe it mm -hmm. goes out of the internet and gets pictures of this person that like automatically textures the like the like AI and like all that. You know, um, yes. This is this is a little pie in the sky in 2020, but I don't know if it really will be in, in like 2040 or something, you know, things like this might exist. Um, yep. 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 Um, yeah. And also like, and that's it, an active imagination tool, you know, that's a crazy active imagination tool. Like, well, exactly. I mean, what's, what's okay. What's strange about this is that that fuck on the one hand, it's, it's basically missed, right? right. <laughs> it's just, uh, creating, exactly. You get to write the books. You, you're all going to become atris, you know. Mm. Which, which which makes me wonder, you know, how that game was so popular. Yeah, yeah. It clearly was something that people oh, were drawn to. Yes, because it it shows you a world made with language, made mm. with code. It's this video game world that that for the first time achieved what people would accept as photo real, because Mario yeah. was. A but Mist was real looking enough that you could imagine it was representative of an actual thing somehow. Yeah. And so it shows you that spectacular magic trick of a thing written with 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 a with symbols that then becomes living. It's like a place mm. you can actually go to and inhabit. And then it at the same time shows you a little story about that with the writing of these books. It does kind of suggest to you like you too could write Mist Island, you know, if you become a game developer. <laughs> it's like a secret ad to become a, a game designer, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and it's funny because it's, it's, it's magic, like you said, um, to create a little situation, like, like there is something you want to, some fantasy you want to live out and you live it out in VR. Mm. That's like some sort of magic, right? Totally. You're, you're performing, you're really like performing this symbolic act. Um, writing a computer program is like writing a spell. It's a set of mm. instructions that when it's performed, i.e. ritualized, i.e. computed, mm. creates some kind of magical effect, unified big effect, like making yeah. Mist Island a, re a reality, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, it, there's like an implied occult thing, like in the 
whole idea of a game design, you know, because mm-hmm. you're writing little mantras that loop around and then make a world, you know, <laughs> it's like summoning reality out of like little like link, like, like chants or something, you know? Oh, fuck. <laughs> the chants, the chants are all like four loops, you know, but same thing. Right, right. So code is like a sort of <laughs> glossolalia. It's like a... Yes. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny because then um, in relation to the market, like Terence McKenna also used to say how if you were able to um, live these sort of weird experiences in VR that were really satisfying, it might actually be as as satisfying or more, especially if you were like on drugs, Mm. than doing it in like the waking world. If you want to like sort of use sort of ski on an enormous mountain or something. uh, And or, or sort of own a huge cathedral then you wouldn't maybe you wouldn't feel the need so much to spend money on building a huge cathedral with actual stone yeah like the whole the whole again maybe very sort of uh, speculative but maybe the whole flow of money would change because suddenly things that you were using physical resources to create would reveal themselves to actually be more satisfying in their virtual form Mm. because maybe that's what you were trying to do what you were trying to do wasn't to climb an actual physical mountain you wanted it was you wanted some sort of an active imagination climb of 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 a mountain in some sort of a um mystical sense just thinking about what that would mean even for like this kind of stuff that we get up to, like mm. would we rather sit in a physical living room with a mm. TV in front of us and try to watch a movie together that way? Or would we like to be immersed inside that movie together in a VR thing that would let us kind of like, I don't know, like throw clips around in the air and like <laughs> collide clips together and instantly rewind and bookmark and do all that, you know, that would be yes. more fluid in a virtual space, probably. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm so into that. Like, I'm just waiting for, like, the general purpose VR chat, like, program that allows you to, like, summon video quotes, like, above your hand, like a magic <laughs> spell, you know? It's like, like yeah. it's like, shoot media around with that level of fastness and, and yeah. ease, you know? like talk in video quotations, like alongside having a verbal conversation. (laughs) Well, because it's crazy. Like you said, you could have this uh, room in VR where people could meet and watch a movie together. So like we could like all sing heads from all different places of the world could meet up in a room if they had VR and watch a movie together which is weird because a lot of i think a lot of us in like sync sphere watch movies in like our sync watching of movies is a solitary activity 
totally yeah when i watch movies with other people it's it's you know i have to keep that to myself in a, in a certain way um so it would be weird to make sync viewing a social thing in that way yes i guess i don't know you and i specifically probably have no experience with that like i don't think i've watched a film with another sync head in real life ever no so that'd be so crazy yeah yeah would <laughs> be so crazy yeah yeah totally which is yeah definitely i don't know <laughs> hmm. I might have mentioned this on the podcast before, I'm not sure, but something I always think is interesting about VR is that um, I think it's going to end up affecting the kinds of product placement we see in the background of shots, you know, because mm. um, right now what you tend to see are individual products in the background. So you're not going to see like competitors like next to each other. You're not going to see Burger King and McDonald's, for instance. It's going to be one or the other back there, you know. But I think because VR has eye tracking, mm. It, mm. it's going to be like a data gathering thing for them to put a bunch of different kinds of products in the background and then see which ones you're staring at longer than the others. You know, So we probably will see Burger King and McDonald's next to each other because someone else is trying to figure out which one you like so that it can figure out how to effectively target ads at you in other places <laughs> in the VR world, you know? <laughs> So all the like movie content and stuff that we see, it's gonna, it's, it's all gonna, it's gonna start having like backgrounds that are just populated by like dense clusters of like products, you know, <laughs> so that they can yes. they can map your eye pathway through it. Oh, dude, <laughs> that's that so terrifying. <laughs> that that's so strange. Also, because um, if okay, what if then? the everyone starts staring at the same stuff and and then that that stuff the stuff that people stare at gets more space in in ad space right they think okay so people are staring at this so we're going to make more of it and in a weird feedback loop (laughs) a feedback loop that's faster than the one we're in now because again because of uh yes yeah because of eye tracking um the the actual archetypal content of the ads would become manifest like if burger king ah, i see i see maybe burger king is something that people look at but they look at it not just because they want a burger but because it's a king yes 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 precisely yeah yeah and and then think, ma- yeah exactly <laughs> and it, it, if that got combined with um that maybe movies would be made based on that data too. Yes, so if if yes. if people are watching a lot of movies about kings, then they just make more movies about kings. No, it's then, very it's very natural, yeah. right? Because archetypes are things that trap attention, and mm. what this other eye tracking stuff amounts to is about making maps of user attention. It's, it's like <laughs> what are you paying attention to while you watch? That right. ought to yes. generate, uh, on the whole, as a big data object a map of archetypal space considered yeah. the right frame, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah, like, it might be, <laughs> it, it might just become baffling and almost impossible not to see that a weird sort of structure is being constructed 
yes. through our attention. Yes. And that well, no one is creating it. <laughs> exact, exactly. We, we haven't thought yet about the degree to which the VR headset is like a data extraction thing. It's making a simulation of experience that can be monitored and recorded. That's the, it's like a thing that's on your head that's going to learn about your attentional patterns. Oh, dude. Yeah, right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's the and same as the future, the word, that could yeah. be dynamic. You know, you could have a program mm -hmm. that dynamically learns about you as you use it and changes the environment on the basis of what it's learning about you. Yeah. That would be quite a thing. <laughs> huh. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. I've thought before, like, what if, I mean, this is like wild speculation now, but what if it could be the case that, like, maybe they're they're tracking everybody's attention. What if everybody notices an image of an airplane a day before there's a giant airplane crash in the news or something, you know? Absolutely. Like, Absolutely. for a split second, everybody's eyeballs are, like, drawn to this thing, but all at the same time or something. If such yeah. things exist, this technology could document it easily, yeah. you know? Yeah. So who knows? I know this stuff. <laughs> I, absolutely, like this stuff, really, like is amazing to me because it, 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 like you say, it feels like on paper, theoretically, it just seems so difficult not to feel in awe of it because it, it, it feels that that an actual objective collective recording of precog and sync and all this stuff would be inevitable. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And, and so, so like, weird. like you said, like, what would that mean? What would that mean if suddenly collectively everyone realized that we're all kind of like, that there's all this weird sort of dimension to shit. That... <laughs> I mean, it would be, it would be Jung's apocalypse coming true in whatever, in some way, you know, <laughs> mm, mm, mm. like sudden Christification of a bunch of people mm, mm. on some level, you know, that would be a big like jump in self-understanding, I think. Mm. Yeah. I keep thinking of it in these terms as well. Like, on the one hand, I, I exactly. I'm so just to like balance it out with another perspective. So I, I think of it in these weird like um, Terence McKenna eschaton terms of like it seems like this leads to some sort of a big like shift from zero to one, like a really binary kind of boom moment. Mm. In suddenly uh, the the union between like all these questions raised by sync become like. Uh, collectively held or something. Mm. But at the same time, I'm also wondering, what if this imagination that I'm that, that I'm having now, this sort of like image of the future, is my kind of uh, I'm seeing I'm I'm seeing the archetypal eschaton out there in the future, and it's going to bleed into the world, but in a more gradual way. So that the closer you get to it, the more it changes. That maybe it's, I, I keep wondering about this. What if it's not so much that we're getting 
closer and closer to an object that is always the same object and we're just getting closer to it but that as you get closer to it the object itself changes so that um i see so that right now the future seems to us this way it seems like a, a straight line towards a world where vr reveals um sync but what if when you get closer to that when vr really is developed and everything all sorts of other variables would have entered into the equation because the effects of vr would have slowly seeped in gradually yeah like maybe what i mean is that maybe the effects of vr don't all arrive at once in one big um toke but you slowly <laughs> like it's more of a slow kind of change that the world will just slowly change um i don't know i'm just wond wondering about those two things and what what it means to i don't know it's hard to know what to say about e either of them but um but i definitely get a sense of both of them like you said a big a big dramatic shift and then also just like a a slow um stoniness <laughs> yes or something Ooh. I, I mean, I, I, yeah. I guess there is a basic distinction we could draw between um, individual experiences of of like individual coming to consciousness of sync, you know, mm, mm. Um, versus something that like data scientists might learn, you know. I do think they're a little distinct, you know, because we could learn something scientifically about uh -huh. human beings. Yeah, yeah. And that that would just become a piece of canonical knowledge, I guess. But that just that might not have the same effect as you know, that's like teaching someone something as a fact versus demonstrating it to them as a reality. Those are different, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. VR seems like it might be poised to do both, both to extract large statistical information that might show weird biasing and that, you know, I mean, certainly we're going to learn like attention is not flat. Certain things tend to hold attention more than others. We're probably going to learn some things about those categories. Those categories will be ar the archetypal categories, pres presumably, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and we're going to construct that on the basis of actual empirical data this time. <laughs> it's not going to be about combing through um, a bunch of material like Jung did and trying to see what's common. We're just going to actually track people's attention moment to moment over mm. such a wide sample that we'll just be able to actually build the map mm -hmm. as it exists in current day, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then as time goes on, we'll be able to see how it changes historically too. We'll be able to see probably how new things get substituted for old things, but they orbit around the same categorical centers you know mm -hmm. boats are really in this year next year it'll be planes etc <laughs> you know yeah yeah um they might do that stuff and at the same time it might um facilitate individual realizations of sync through this like ability to learn things about you and reflect them back at you through the environment that is like mm. a sync perhaps by 
seeding you with a kind of an artificial sync experience. Mm. It might open you up to experiencing it in the real world, for instance. You know, mm-hmm. if I get used to living in a world in VR where the environment is reflecting information about me that I might not know, but that the machine knows oh, on the basis shit. of its psychological model and what it's been able to learn about me over the long term using it. That's yeah. like sync, you know. You're yes. looking at the environment for information about yourself. That's what VR probably will will produce. Right. So, manufacturing a sink it's definitely scary like i can see like talking about it now i can see the scary yeah it's scary right it's scary because there's definitely like a like that's the weird thing there's like a amazingly terence mckenna utopic side to it and then there's a horrible like (laughs) scary (laughs) dystopia (laughs) it's the it's the ufo father and the magician cat eyes crow father from we're back Mm. right yeah 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 yes yes yeah funny god the circus is like i just think of it as like a vr arena that that's why i was Mm. thinking of that you know because because you know it's funny because i was thinking about this watching the mask of zorro that um the movie is doing two things at the same time Mm. uh as I think all movies seem to be doing these two things, which is on the one hand, it's uh, judging certain behaviors as good and others as bad in some mm-hmm. sense. Like it's saying, you know, in a very basic sort of sense, saying like, you know, the, the, uh, this, I don't know, this is how families should be. This is how, uh, <laughs> People yeah. should love you. This is the correct. This is the correct type of sex. This is the totally. correct type of uh, whatever. So it's it's making all these sort of judgments that um, that have like a a scary sort of like totalitarian edge to it. Yeah. Um, and and then at the same time, all of the stuff that's happening is also archetypal. Yes. So that all of the male characters are also just the archetype of masculinity, all the female characters, the archetype of femininity. And so regardless of who you are as a person, how your body is and so on, if you absorb that movie at an archetypal level, it can be a really healing experience. Yes. Like it's really strange because then it's like the same movie is is being the black iron prison and behind it the the gar- the garden um yes do you suppose that that tracks roughly the conscious and unconscious like layers of those movies you know or do you right. think it's not it's not so tightly coupled it would seem to me like the black iron prison comes from consciousness <laughs> mm-hmm. and the redempt- the redemptive archetypal narrative comes from the unconscious, but maybe that's being uncharitable to the conscious. No, I, I, I think definitely there's something like that. I, I get the feeling though that the, I need to think more about this, but I feel that the, the black iron prison side is also has an unconscious side to it in that it's i i don't 
know how much of that is like consciously mm, put into the movie in, in some sense. Uh, yes, yeah. And also that's the fucked up thing about it is that by so it's very it's very fractal because what I'm doing now, right, by judging the movie, I'm also doing the same thing in some sense. I'm like I'm saying it's very easy for me to say, oh, this kind of movie is like a bad movie or it's a uh -huh, good movie. Uh -huh. It'll it'll have a bad effect on you. It'll have a good effect on you. And but then at the same time, it, it that's why it sort of fractals out in a weird way. Cause it's it depends on like there is some way in which you can enter into relationship with it that that makes it become a different movie. It becomes a different movie, I think, because in some sense it stops being a movie. It 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 starts being like the movie when it's talking to you at an archetypal level, you are in some way like um the the line between the waking world and the dream world has um somehow blended. Fact and fiction have somehow blended mm. in order for you to be there. <laughs> um so I don't know. I think mm -hmm. this related to something uh, we were saying about VR, but I can't remember now. What it was. No, same. Yeah, no, we, we, we blasted through so many <laughs> ideas there. Um, yeah. Hmm. I mean, I was just thinking, in reference to what you were just saying about how frustrated I've been at, at see at just how hard it is to communicate um, the vibrance and the reality of this half of cinema, you know? Because mm. mm -hmm. um, for me, and I'm sure it's the same way for you, this archetypal content is, you can really, it, it's like unmistakable, you know? Mm -hmm. um, I know we, we, we talk a lot on this podcast about certain directors that drive us a little crazy because it, it's hard to tell what's one and what's the other, what's consciously worked and what's unconsciously mm -hmm. present. But I think those are actually kind of special cases, you know. I, I notice, especially with like the, a lot of the trash content that I watch, you know, like in yeah. trash, it's often really clear where the dividing line is it's like you can see right where the consciously put stuff ends because that stuff is very clumsy in a way mm -hmm. you know and the unconscious stuff is also beautifully interrelated often oh yeah Just that yeah, marks yeah. it you know yeah yeah you you're can right. see right where the stupid little crayon drawing mm. that the ego made <laughs> ends mm. and the big luscious like deep image set provided by the unconscious begins yeah yeah <laughs> And I, I see it like almost like visually demarcated, you know, I mean, not quite, but like, it's just like, you know, when you're in these zones of the film where this other source is, uh, whatever we think about it, either had its way with the material somehow and embedded additional patterns into the piece 
<laughs> or something happened like magically or accidentally in the making of the piece that then encourages that center in, in you to activate and move your attention around when you watch it. It has the same effect on you in, in the end. Um, wow, yeah. Zones of the film that reflect something inside or something else, you know? Oh, dude, yeah, this is fucking weird. Yeah, exactly, because, like, it's... Uh, something about it is also making you create the movie as you watch it because you're focusing in on specific parts of the movie. That's right. Uh, under its direction in a, in like a Philip K. Dick way. Yeah. And not only that, but as we, as we were talking, right, you end up watching these movies at moments that see that you hadn't planned. Yes. And, and that, that, so like, why have I suddenly watched a bunch of movies and like, you know, that, that all seem to have the same things. Um, so, so the, the, the the experience is being created um, for you in some sense. Like it's creating itself around you. Yeah. But the movie itself also, in some sort of an objective, shareable way, is also created around uh, archetypal content. Right. Right. So like, because it, cause it's yeah. all about the attention of the directors in that case, mm -hmm. too. You know, it's like... Mm they're making a record of their attention through the material that they're working with, you know? And so yeah. all people, I guess, it, yeah, it's just so... <laughs> but th th this is so weird because then th there are several layers to the sync um, uh, socializing, let's say. Sync socializing <laughs> yes. has a way in which, on the one hand, we can talk about like let's say objective stuff in the sense of like look jim carrey is dressed in green in like 20 of his movies or something yeah like yeah. look he, he's the green man in all of these movies and we yeah. can all look at it and we can all in a jungian way contrast it with actual mythological material from from other um yes. religions yeah. and stuff but then our personal stuff is also shareable in some weird way, because as has happened to many of us, suddenly I notice that I'm having a whole bunch of things about whales and I've been watching movies about whales and I ask you or I look online and other people also seem to have been watching movies about whales. Yes, so the, the, yeah. there is this personal aspect to it that also seems to be like shareable in, in a sort of like the, the wind is blowing these themes and mm. these symbols in the air yes yeah and then so so and then there's obviously like the personal stuff of oh this movie also kind of resonates with a conversation i had with my uh brother or something and and that's yeah. like something that is very personal but even that can have this weird social aspect to it if other sing heads also have been having conversations with their siblings and it's like oh this seems to be uh, sibling month in in, I see, I see. in in uh symbol space. <laughs> uh, and obviously, like you said, that's without even talking about what the director went through, what the light technician, the sound people, what everyone who made that movie went through while making it. Yes. <laughs> yes. Which must have also been its own thing. Um, yeah. 
Hmm. So it's it's operating at all these levels all the time, and like, and then you're watching it, and you're you're directing your attention. Something is directing your attention. The movie is objectively something that other people can also observe. It's like happening all the, at the same time. <laughs> yes, it's so interesting. Well, I love just this basic <laughs> distinction between the director of the film mm. and the director of your attention as you watch the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Which is the unconscious, really. You don't consciously mm. direct your attention, typically, unless you've been given instructions for some reason. Like, watch for this thing, you know? <laughs> Generally, you're just watching, and your attention wanders where it does. The film is designed to lead your attention, but it's interesting also to notice, especially then, when you... when your attention... I, I just think that attention mapping is obviously going to be, like, a job description for VR-related content. In the future, it'll be a whole field... Right now, I don't think it really is so much. We don't think so much. I mean, maybe more in game design or something, but I don't know. It just seems like we could visualize, like, we could learn a lot about attention, first of all. Like, how easy is it to break? How many things can people pay attention to at once before they check out, you know? <laughs> and you could really engineer the flow of attention through content. Like... Something I've always tried to do with my sync videos, you know, is build like multiple attentional pathways into them. So you can, mm. if you focus on what I'm saying, that's kind of one thread. But if you focus on the pictures I'm putting up, it's a different thread, actually. It's in parallel with what I'm saying, but it's adding. It's, it's, yeah. it's saying slightly par parallel, adjacent things, you know. Mm. Um, and sometimes I'll have kind of multiple image streams going on too that are articulating little ideas as they run along in a kind of free running way or something and that's like for me that's kind of the I'm trying to do like the equivalent of maybe what like Zemeckis and directors like him were doing engineering for, for home video like I'm trying to engineer for YouTube for a world where you can pause it and jump back 10 seconds and jump forward 10 seconds and, and go through a section multiple times very easily you know um, yeah, yeah. Um, with yeah, the VCR, yeah, yeah. it's still a little hard to do that, you know. Um, but I think with like an internet video, you can you can pack a lot more stuff into a shorter video by building in branching pathways. It's like branching level design in a video game, you know. But so thinking about like branching attentional pathways in video content, it's something that ought to exist now, but doesn't so much, and will probably will exist post VR though. Once people start watching video in VR and we start mapping how their attention moves, I do think we'll see an instant feedback loop with video content creators like learning, like, oh, we can we can make a a more like like a robust piece of art by by supporting multiple styles of attention and multiple ah multiple paths of attention and yeah. et cetera, you know? Wow. Yeah. It's very interesting, this thing with attention and VR. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really interesting because attention is so, 
it's such an important like psychological factor, you know, because mm. it's because it's largely under unconscious control, I think. Mm. Mm. And it mm. can reveal so much. And we know that socially, like the fact that we can tell what people are looking at because there's white around the eyes, you know, that's not true mm -hmm. in all animals. It's actually not true in most animals. It's a little hard to tell what another animal is looking at so precisely. But we can look at another human being and know just what they're looking at. And that gives us a lot of information. If I see my girlfriend or boyfriend looking at some other man or woman, <laughs> you know, that's telling me something about the interior <laughs> feelings, yeah. potentially, of my mate, etc. So they, they are like yeah. biologically critical, like evolutionarily critical uh, mm -hmm. attention tracking, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's funny. God. <laughs>